my name is Mark, and I do head the recovery program here at Pierce Point. And one of the things that, that the world calls it is recovery. As Christians, we call it restoration to the Father through Christ with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what our sanctification is all about, as being restored to the Father so that we can commune with Him in our everyday lives. One of the things that we learn in, uh, in, in all of this is a thing called the serenity prayer. Some of you have heard it. This is the long version. It says this, God give us the grace to accept with serenity the things that, I can, that cannot be changed, courage to change the things which should be changed, and the wisdom to distinguish one from the other. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, Accepting hard, hardship as a pathway to peace. Taking as Jesus did, this simple world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Everything now, all right? Real, Everything all right, Ethan? Yeah, okay, just make sure. Everything's good? Okay. All right, real quick, I have a... I have a pop quiz, and this was not part of, of our uh, practice the other day, but this is a pop quiz just strictly for the panel up here. How many of you are sinners? How many have worked on and are currently working on your sanctification? As a church, one thing that we believe is in the whole Word of God, and part of that says that we as leaders are to lead by example. So we are definitely being sanctified as we go. And in our sanctification, and on this series, we have learned about ourselves and about God's word even deeper. So let's get started with the questions. Question one, what is sanctification? So a lot of, we've talked about this a lot in every devotion. We talked about this, this process of becoming sanctified or becoming set apart people that God has called us to. And it is a very long process. I think Adam put it best. It's what the process of becoming more to, I, I lost my words, more like Jesus. Uh, so Nathan shared this verse earlier today in his devotion, uh, Romans 6, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Jesus freed us, and this is the process that we get to go to become sanctified, to become set apart. It, it's funny, um, Nathan also used one of the verses I had this morning during his Devo as well. He's just stealing everybody's verses. Um, but I'm going to read it anyway. So, uh, <laughs> You'll be hearing from my lawyers. Uh, so it's out of John 17. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the, into the world. For their sakes, this is Christ talking, by the way. This is Jesus talking. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Um, another part of the definition for sanctification is to, to be set apart. It was very interesting to me when I looked at that scripture, 
it's talking about Jesus saying he sanctified himself. Well, obviously, he didn't make himself more pure. He was already perfect. So that's, that's, he, that part of sanctification doesn't apply to him. But he set himself apart for what? For, for our salvation, for, for his crucifixion. So we, there's a sacrifice that could be made for us. So in the same way, he sets himself apart for that. We're also set apart to bring him glory in everything that we do. Now, of course, we're going to fail at that. But that's a huge part of our sanctification is to realize that we've been set apart as a holy people to bring glory to a heavenly father. You know, I love the, the point that you brought out on that, Dylan, was that God set us apart, but for a purpose. It wasn't just to be a, uh, something special or different from anybody else in, in the uh, kingdom of God. It's for, it's for a purpose. And, and if we don't recognize what that purpose is, going to go a long time without really understanding what we're being sanctified for, what we're really supposed to be doing. So, but yeah, I love that set apart, but for a purpose. Yeah. So some of you uh, know that I spend a lot of time on definitions. I care a lot about what we mean by a word, but what the author meant by the word. And so we've said two things today, and I want to make sure that we don't have confusion about it. Um, the generic definition, the kind of um, practical definition of what is sanctification is looking more like Jesus. The actual definition is being set apart. But the reason why we go to this, why we use looking more like Jesus as a definition is because what we, what we enjoy as people is we enjoy practical applications to our, to our teaching, right? And so when we say it means looking like Jesus, all of us can go to the Bible and say, I know what Jesus looks like, right? But the connection here is really important. There is no one more set apart than the son who died for all of humanity, Amen. right? Amen. There's no one who is more set apart for a particular task and work and, and a way to honor the father than the son. And so that's what we're supposed to do, right? So we are being set apart. And the reason why we say it is to look more like Jesus is because that's the perfect example. It gives us practical steps. We can look at Jesus and go, I should lay down my life for the people that I love. I can look at Jesus and say, I should love even my enemies. I can look at Jesus and realize that when I'm hanging on a cross, I should say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. All we're doing by that definition is going, look, here is tangible uh, you know, proof of what sanctification really is. Okay. Anybody else? Uh, Go ahead. I was just going to piggyback off of what Nathan was just talking about in, in, a, in a real world practical example of that, that uh, if you dig a little bit deeper, you can really find out what it means. And uh, I had somebody sell me a guitar one time and they said, um, I'm only selling this to you because you're a worship leader and I've set this guitar aside for it to only be used to glorify God. And this this always rung deep with me about what sanctification is because if we view ourselves as that guitar, we know that we should not be um, putting anything else out there in the world that is not of Jesus. So this guitar was designed literally from the get-go to just be something to praise the Lord. Um, and I really think that's a really good practical way of us looking at what sanctification is where we sit there and we go, oh, I probably shouldn't be playing that song. This, this guitar is something that's set apart. That's how our lives should be lived. Mm -hmm. Anybody else? I might add, too, that sanctification, 
we have a purpose. We have a responsibility. In 2 Timothy 2.21, uh, 2 it says this, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good works. So we have that responsibility, that purpose to uh, be sanctified so that we are useful and honorable to our Lord. Question number two, what are the, <laughs> this is a fun one, what are some of the common excuses for not being sanctified? Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> so I was uh, looking over these questions a few days ago and um, there's tons of excuses, but I, I found a scriptural reference that I, I thought would be interesting to read. So many times when it comes to our, sanct our sanctification or even our salvation, which is the, very connected, um, it's, we decide that we have better things to do. Um, I'm going to read a, from Luke 14, verses 16 through 24, to give you an example of this. This is a parable that Jesus says to uh, his disciples. But he said to him, a man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to, sit, to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land, and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have bought five yoke, yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have married a wife, and for that reason I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring here the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the slave said, Master, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. Um, it's very important to realize whatever our excuse is, whether it's, well, I've got better things to do or I've got more important things to do, there is nothing more important than our sanctification and our salvation because without both, there, there is no hope of, of glory in, in the, in the after, afterlife. It's, the excuses didn't work in this parable and they don't, they don't work now, unfortunately. So as a basis to this question, we've got that sanctification is a lifelong process of what it means to be a Christian, which is, you know, making looking like Christ your aim. That's what we want, okay? It doesn't mean we're perfect instantaneously, but sanctification is the process of making ourselves look more like Christ, making Christ our aim. So what are some excuses for not doing that? Well, really, there's ignorance, which is just not knowing a thing, and then there's not wanting a thing. So, and this is somewhat anecdotal, but... I've seen ignorance not really be a huge excuse when you think of those two categories. God works with a little, okay? There's one thing if you don't even understand the gospel, even elementary principles of it, but um, you can be a child. <laughs> you can be four years old and understand the gospel enough that God will use that and use that to sanctify you. Very basic things. God will work with that. So really it's a lot of do we really want this or not? Do we want to sign up for this process? Do we want to go through that because it's not always fun you know being corrected in the short term to look more like Christ that's not always a fun thing it's beautiful in the end but if any of you guys played sports you remember 
practice and running around and hating two-a-days in the summer for football, that was horrible. He probably didn't want to do that. Everybody wants to be a star athlete. Nobody wants to go through the process. But um, sanctification is like that sometimes. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's like you're, you know, this part hurts, this part sucks, but it's, it's for a good end. It's for a good purpose. And what we need to be careful of is really pushing people hard towards the process of sanctification when they're in a spot that they don't want it. Right? It's not going to work. We really need to make sure they're in a spot where they want that before we start pushing them towards that. Now, I think one of the things that you said is it's, it's really not an excuse if you don't know what it is, you don't know what, what it means to be set apart or sanctified. But once people find out what it is and they realize it takes a long time, like, man, we live in a world that does not take, like anything that takes a long time. And it takes a long time. Mm -hmm. And you can look around and see people at various stages of where God wants them to be. And sometimes they're at various stages of where God wants them to be because, number one, they, they're, they're just starting on that journey or they may be a long way down that journey and still not at a very good place. So everybody's at a little different spot when it comes to that. So uh, grace is absolutely a, uh, a must-have with those that are dealing with being sanctified. It's not instant. It's the process is instant, but, but man, oh man, going through it is just, it takes a long time. I think uh, another a really common excuse is something that a lot of us have struggled with, which is um, we don't believe it's our own personal responsibility and we think other people are there to help us for this. Uh, like how many people have been a part of a church and they've heard somebody say, um, well, I'm just not going to be a part of that church. I'm not getting enough out of it. I'm not being fed enough. I'm not doing any of these things. Well, are you reading your Bible? Are you doing, you know, are you doing all these things? It's, it's not somebody else's responsibility for you to grow in the word of God. Now, in working in recovery, that's one of the things that, that we was also taught was that, you know, everybody knows they need it but do they want it? And the thing is, when we confess Christ, second, or, uh, Galatians 5.24 says this, Now those who belong to Jesus, Christ Jesus has crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That means that we're giving that stuff up. But have we totally surrendered? And that is the bottom line. Have we totally surrendered to Christ, to God, the precepts? And we come up with every excuse not to. So... Surrender is a, also a large majority of it as well. Anybody else? All righty. Number three, and this is a very important question. Why is it important that we are sanctified? What or who are we aiming for? So I have two scripture references for this one. Um, Romans 6.22, but now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. If we really look at that and, and break it down, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. The outcome of our sanctification, walking through that process, is eternal life. It's very important. Very, very important. It's mandatory. There's no, like, you don't, you don't get to just say a prayer and then just live out the rest of your life not being intentional about seeking the Lord and seeking your aim. And of course, uh, 
the scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, um, to answer the question, who are we aiming for? Paul says, be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Um, I think it puts it pretty plainly that our goal should be, as we've said many times here, to, to look more like Christ. As Nathan had pointed out, if we want to talk about set apart, the most set apart person ever was Jesus. So that, that is our aim, and that's a tall order, but that's why it's a process, not, a, not an instant thing. There's no doubt that salvation is um, bigger than maybe we think of it right off the bat. Most people look at salvation and they're like, oh, cool, it's a get-out-of-hell-free card or uh, fire insurance, as my dad would always say, or something like this. And that all of that's nice. Um, it's a ticket into eternity or something. Um, those, those things have truth in them, and that's why we've come to these conclusions. Uh, but what we need to understand is that salvation, when it is understood fully is the ultimate end or the aim that Jesus came to accomplish, right? He wants to save us to whatever that is, okay? So it can be life, it can be eternity, it can be all of that, but Jesus came to save us to that. And the process that he chose to use to get there is the process of sanctification, we have gotten this backward in the church for quite some time. What we suggest to people is you get saved and then you get sanctified as if they are completely separate ideas or works. And this is just not a good idea. As Dylan pointed out in Romans, the idea is sanctification unto eternity. The same thing happens in 2 Thessalonians 2.13. The Apostle Paul says to the church there, but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification, right? We know this. We've heard it tons of times. We're saved by grace through faith. You see, you're saved because of an instrument that God gave, grace, a, a power that he gives. And then there is a way. We are saved by grace through trusting him. Okay? Well, this same thing is that language. Okay? So realize what's happening. God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through a process, through sanctification. Many of you... Uh, probably know this, but if you don't know this, this will be helpful to you. The Bible talks of our salvation in three tenses. It says that we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. And the church runs around parading this idea, I am saved, and there's nothing else. Be careful. Be careful with this. You are saved in the sense that the instrument of our salvation, Jesus Christ, offered his life for our redemption 2,000 years ago. But you can go further than that and understand that before the foundation of the world, God foreordained that instrument to die for a humanity that he knew would fall short of his glory. Okay, So we are saved in that respect. But that act did not save anyone. That, that thought in God's mind didn't wipe everything clean. If it did, there's no need for the cross. There's no need for Jesus to show up 2,000 years later or whatever it is, right, 2,000 years ago. Right? So we are saved. We are being saved. What does the scripture say? It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why in the world do I need to be working out my salvation? Isn't it done? The answer is yes or no. Right? So we're working out our salvation. And then we have passages like this that are very bold that talk about our salvation in the end. You are going to be saved through sanctification. Through sanctification. We do not have the right church 
to sit back on our laurels and just say, okay, well, I prayed a prayer one time. I'm good. That's not what the Bible actually says. You may have been taught that. You may have been called to the altar when you were a kid or with, when you were an adult. But understand, you started a race at that point. You started a race at that point. And Paul says, with every breath you have and every day that you have been given, run that race in such a way as to win the prize, right? So it's all connected in that. So as Christians, we are called to be the light of the world. And if we don't go through this process, if we refuse, if we fight it, how can we be a light to the world if we look just like them? Uh, it's something that we need to be set apart. We need to break off our sin. We need to sh- change. All right, just to add to what Nathan said, um, we, are, we are saved through sanctification. We are also saved unto sanctification. That's not to say that, you know, you need to be sanctified to a certain point before you are saved. We're not running the race, and you have to reach a certain point in the race before you're sanctified. When you surrender everything, when you say the prayer and you actually lay everything down, you repent and turn from your sins, that's you starting the race. That's you saying, okay, I'm signing up for this process. I want to be sanctified. At that point, you are saved. You are saved, okay? And you are still being saved because guess what? Jesus hasn't come back. We, hasn't, we haven't been resurrected yet. We're still living out this process. In that sense, we are still being saved. But your salvation is secure. If you're running the race, your salvation is secure. Paul said that we, we have to, to become a saint. You know, we have a different view of saints in our world today. Our modern world sees saints as all dead people, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's not how the, the first uh, century church saw saints. They were saints. They were alive. They were Christians who were following Christ. They were saints. And sanctification marked them. It actually uh, made a difference in their life. They saw a difference in, the, in those people's lives because they were they were following following Christ. So it is it is essential for us to be able to witness our uh, it, sanctification. Sanctification does so many things, but your witness for Christ is one of the most important things that it does for you. And to point that out, you know, we're pointing to Christ. Sanctification. It's constantly pointing the finger to Christ and. You know, we're still not perfect, so that presents a problem, right? We're supposed to be pointing to Christ. We're supposed to be ambassadors of Christ, and yet we still fall short. Well, how are we supposed to do that? In honesty, we're supposed to be very honest with people. We're trying to represent Christ. If we fall short, we got to be like, you know what? Christ wouldn't have done that. This is what he would have did. I fell short here. And that's, that's how you still point to Christ in the middle of all that when you are in the process of sanctification. All right. Um, I think that being an ambassador to Christ and being the light unto the world is a good segue into question five. What areas of our lives do we work on our sanctification? <laughs> Don't everybody Mark, jump at Mark once. Mark <laughs> skipped question four, but we'll answer it oh, did as I? I'm we sorry. go. How would you encourage someone yeah. to start or follow through with their sanctification? I'm sorry. This is really awesome, and I love this question. How would you encourage someone to start their sanctification? It really depends on the type of person you are. Mm-hmm. I would say suck it up, buttercup, and start, right? That's, that's my encouragement. It's, it's going to come a little bit different from different people, but I think I think... It's all the answers we've given so far is how I would encourage people. 
Remember, your sanctification is part of your salvation. Remember, sanctification is looking like Jesus. Remember, you're representing Christ. Remember, you're an ambassador. I think people need to be reminded or at least be informed of those things in order to get there. Um, yeah, as, as Nathan said, um, it's important to, if you're going to encourage somebody in their sanctification, to first allow them uh, to understand the importance of it. Uh, a good scripture for that would be Hebrews twelve fourteen. Um, Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. I think that really puts it into perspective for us how important sanctification is. So if I am encouraging someone in sanctification, I'm going to first start out with the importance of it. Because if you don't realize the importance of it, you're not going to pursue it. Um, the second thing is I think it's important that we allow people to know, you know, this is discipleship, that we're willing to, to show them how to go about it and, and to walk with them and pray for them in the midst of that because it's not an easy process, as we've, as we've pointed out. So m making sure that we allow those around us to know that we are there for them in their process of sanctification. It is a process that you have to work on one on, like, one, like, individually with the Lord, but it does not mean that we as the body cannot be here and pray for one another and encourage one another in that. Um, so the importance of it and then letting them know that they're not alone in, the, in, the, in this process. Sorry. <laughs> so, like, kind of going off what Dylan said, we're a church of believers. We're all supposed to encourage one another because of how long this process is, it can be daunting in the midst of it to look ahead and say, wow, look how far I am from that. But as believers, we can look into each other's lives and have community and be able to say, look, I'm, I am seeing you being sanctified as you can walk this process to go and encourage. Uh, and Paul in Thessalon 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore, encourage one another, building each other up just as you are also doing we we need to be encouraging each other we need to go out of our way to make sure like hey Nathan I saw you change now it, it is encouraging for that person I didn't specifically picked him but <laughs> yeah and I was I was just gonna say that um, you know when you get to encourage somebody chances are that that person is uh, looking at you for um, uh, They've put value on you in their life because when you're encouraging somebody, they, they value what you're saying. And I think it's really important that we remember our testimony, but we also remember where that person was too. Because uh, when you can encourage somebody and say, man, I remember when you were this way, look at who you are now. To me, that is the biggest encouragement in the entire world because I know that the person that I was when I was much younger would not even be sitting in a church. Uh, let alone leading worship or talking to you guys, let alone you guys even trusting me to talk to you guys. <laughs> so, so I really think that that, uh, that goes a really long way in, uh, in encouragement. So, Right. So when I was first starting the journey of, of sanctification, the biggest thing for me was I was just extremely frustrated. You know, the want-to is there, and I think it is for most of us. We just get confused on what we're supposed to do. All right, the want to is there, but the, you hear a million different things. It's kind of like the fitness industry, okay? There's a million different things. There's fad diets. Everybody's saying a million different things. What the heck am I supposed to do, right? It's kind of the same thing in Christianity. You got a million different voices saying a million different things. What the heck am I supposed to do? I'm frustrated. I want it, but I don't want, know what to do. Um, 
So if you're like me, you need real tangible steps. One thing I didn't do was I wanted to pretend like I was, I became a Christian and then um, it was an environment where all you ever heard was God's a massive chain breaker, he's gonna set you free, all this stuff, and it, everyone acted like it was an instantaneous thing. And all of a sudden I'm still struggling with stuff and it left me frustrated, like what am I supposed to do here? I'm, I thought I'm a Christian, I'm surrendering this, the song was great, <laughs> but that never happened. That didn't happen in an instantaneous process. So the first thing is to be honest, to be honest with God about where you are, which is easy to do, I think, because we see God and we think he's going to have grace and he's not going to go tell our parents, right? <laughs> so we can be honest with God, but then we are honest with real people and that's harder. And I'm not saying you have to go tell the world everything you're struggling with. Maybe there's a place for that. It depends on what you're struggling with. It depends on who the people are in your world. But you do need to at least find somebody that you can trust to go to and talk about these things with because this is a part of sanctification, the real tangible things you can do, time with other believers, community, friends, time in prayer, and time reading scripture. These are real things that, that we can actually make time for and actually do that will help push us along. But before we do any of that, we need to be honest. We can't say, I want to get better first, and then maybe I'll tell people about this thing that I had to get over. You'll never get over it. Maybe. But it's going to be really, really hard, and it's not worth it, and you really should just find somebody that you can confide in. Mm -hmm. So the next series of questions, five through nine, are going to be a little bit more of a lightning round, just because we got about ten minutes left. But um, all of these, you know, all of the answers so far are really, are really good, and they have... They have the answer to the question in them, right? They're not just, this is just not sermonizing up here, right? Like Ethan's statement there is such a huge deal. If, if you were brought up in a church where you feel you were taught that you had to have it, you were going to be made perfect the second you gave your life to Jesus. Encouragement might be looking at people and saying, listen, we, we don't get saved and arrive. We get saved and we start a process. That's encouragement to people, right? You're building courage into people for a task ahead. If you tell them they're supposed to be perfect and they know they're not because they look in the mirror or their husband or wife tells them or their friends do, they're, they're just going to be discouraged, right? So encouragement is, is exactly what Ethan said. Sometimes you just got to go, hey, well, I don't know where we got the idea that we're perfect. We're not. We're not perfect. We're striving for that. We're striving to be set apart. We're on a journey here. We're running a race. But we didn't just get made, poof, perfect the first day. That is encouragement to people. Remember that. Uh, I've talked a long time about the difference between encouragement and compliments. And the church loves to compliment each other. You're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. That might be true. I don't care. The what is true, what is important, and what is necessary is God has, a, God has a plan, and he has written that plan out to us, and he wants you to walk it. And if you do it, it's the best plan possible. So that is where you build courage into people. You tell them what is expected. So question number five, Mark. All right, question number five. What areas of our lives do we work on our sanctification? Mm. All of them. <laughs> That's the right answer in a nutshell. <laughs> I think a good scripture to even mention in regard to that, of course, it is all, but uh, Colossians 3.17, and I just lost it. There it is. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. 
if you're curious, if you look the word whatever up in the Greek, it still means whatever, like everything, <laughs> if you're curious. Um, what, whatever we do in word or deed, we should be doing in the name of the Lord Jesus. Honestly, to be able to do that, you have to be walking through sanctification. Of course we're going to fail in that. None of us are sitting up here going, hey, you better be perfect. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is we need to be diligently seeking the Lord and walking out our sanctification because we are supposed to be giving all the glory to the Lord in everything that we do. And we, we, we do that through walking, through walking out our sanctification. Anybody top that? I doubt it. Uh, areas of our life, obviously. <laughs> He's going to try. I'll top it. It's all areas of your lives, but where you should really notice it or see it popping up is, you know, who you're spending your time with, what you're talking about, you know, where are you, okay? If, if you're a place you shouldn't be, these are real areas of your lives, you know, where you are and time being spent, what you're watching, what you're reading, those kind of things, what you're listening to. These are real areas of your lives that come up and just are kind of accents in every single day that should change. Okay. Question number seven, how important is humility? Six. Oh, six. I'm sorry. I can't count. He wants to get out of here. Okay. I guess. So Mark right. told me today it's Father's Day and he has a lot of plans after church. <laughs> and he is trying to rush us through and I am going to okay. hold him down. So. Okay. Number six. <laughs> ah, there we go. Okay. Number six. I'm sorry. How important. Sanctification, Mark. Thank anyway. you. I'm learning. Come on. I just need more toes. Uh, question number six. How important is your confession of our sins to God, ourselves, or another person? So, uh, first off, I'm going to read 1 John 1, verse 9 and 10. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So if we're supposed to be sanctified, I would say unrighteousness is something we definitely need to get rid of. Mm -hmm. uh, confessing your sins is a humbling of yourself to say, I was wrong and I'm going to change. It's a benchmark for you in this process of sanctification that you, you really are trying to change and be sanctified and be set apart for God. Confession is at least one, uh, one kind of kryptonite for one of our common excuses, and that is, I'm good enough. I got this figured out. I'm okay. Confession proves it, right? When you admit what you've done wrong, you're admitting you're not good. You don't have it all figured out, right? And uh, none of us in this room have it all figured out, mm -hmm. no matter what Mark says. No, I'm just messing with you. Um, I want to piggyback off of what Ethan said earlier about being honest with God. Especially in this, we have to be honest with ourselves first. We can't be living in denial all the time. And if we're not honest with ourselves, how can be, uh, we be honest with God or another individual? Before we move on from this, it's just food for thought. Mark and I spent a good portion of time talking about this uh, earlier this week. And so did our leadership team on Tuesday night. Um, I just want to give you some advice when it comes to confession, okay? You and I are called to confess our sins one to another. But it is really important for us to understand, and I need your undivided attention at this point, because mm -hmm. this is something that has very practical application and can destroy the people in your life. Yes. There are things 
that you confess that you ought to confess to God alone. You may look at that and say, Nathan, be careful because that's just going to give everybody the excuse. I've confessed it to God. I don't need to confess it to people. I am telling you that there are things that you could bring up. I can't tell you how many in particular. I can't tell you how many men I've sat across the table from that have told me of their struggle through 20 years, 21 years of ministry, of their struggle with pornography and sexual addictions. And then they went home and they confessed every gruesome detail to their wife. And guess what? Their wife can never escape it. She lives in this perpetual state of never living up. She can't ever feel beautiful. She can't ever feel like she's enough. Because they were taught some obscure idea of confession that said, you should go into graphic detail. you got to be honest. See, sometimes what we're trying to do is release the weight of guilt on us. But what we don't understand is when we release the weight of guilt on us, an absurd level of confession creates a millstone around someone's neck. And then they are drowned by this. I've seen marriages not recover because of this very thing. So listen. You should seek counsel. You should ask somebody, is this something that I should confess? Is this something that I should give all the details in? Or find an unbiased party. Find somebody separate to confess that sin and hold you accountable to it. But listen, the Bible does not say confess your sins, every gruesome detail, one to another. Remember the story of David and Bathsheba. Of course, Uriah is not around to to go apologize to. But David says in one of the songs, Psalms, he says, I have sinned against you alone, God. <laughs> Not so much. But the point was, God needed to forgive David for what he had done. Okay? So just be careful. Just a piece of advice. Be careful on how much information you share. Okay. And I want to piggyback on that. That is why it's so vitally important that we are in fellowship with one another, that we seek out the counsel of those that are wiser than us, because we're here to restore, uh, to restore relationships, not to see relationships destroyed. And like Nathan stated, I too have seen those relationships destroyed because they had that sense, well, I got to confess, I'm going to spill my guts. And it was... We don't do that, especially if it's going to injure the other party or anybody else connected. So we got to be very careful of that. Now, number seven, how important is humility? Um, in short, very, very important. First um, Peter chapter five, verse five says, "You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility, all of you." Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Um, I think it's important to realize that without humility, we cannot repent. If you're not humble enough to recognize that you've sinned against an almighty, perfect God, you cannot repent. And if you cannot repent, you cannot walk out sanctification. So I'd say humility is very, very, very important. One of the ways that you can uh, spot counterfeit sanctification is if the person is not humble. It's counterfeit. It's not real. All right. We have two other questions, and in the essence of time, we're going to just give you the, uh, the short version here, and that'll be for me. What is the frequency of our maintenance of sanctification? 
Paul was very clear in that when he said in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, it says, I affirm, brethren, by the boasting you which I have in Jesus Christ our Lord, I die daily. Uh, Scripture is also very clear that we are to pray incessantly. So this maintenance program is an everyday program. Christ said it best in Matthew when he said, worry not for tomorrow. Today is its own worry, one day at a time. Sometimes it's one moment at a time. So our daily maintenance, getting into the Word of God, being in fellowship with one another, all vitally important. And our last question was, how important is prayer in your sanctification? And I had a uh, piece on this that was really great. It was the advantages of prayer in our restoration. One, hope. First Peter 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through its tested fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Also, too, there's mental health benefits. Romans 12, 2 and 3 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I can honestly say that it has great benefits in straightening your mind out. It goes on to say, For I say through the grace given to me to every man that is among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according to God who's dealt to every man the measure of faith. It does. It changes your, your, your whole mental outlook and also your mental health. Prayer, it's also very beneficial in self-reflection. And we do this through communion every week when we say reflect. Do you have something against your brother? Leave your offering, at, leave your offering aside. Go be reconciled with your brother. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourself, that Christ Jesus is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. It also establishes routine. In Psalm 5.3, David said, in the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. And Colossians 4.2, it says, pray earnestly, continue to pray earnestly, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. It's setting up your line of communication in your relationship with God our Father. That's what prayer does. And prayers do get answered. I go to him in prayer for a lot of questions. I always find the answers. Prayer also has physical health benefits. 
and we saw this in the book of James this past week. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Prayer does have, <laughs> prayer does have health benefits. You're praying that you have a health malady, and right now we're dealing with some people that have some diabetes, my daughter for one. I'm constantly praying that, that she learn that insulin is a good thing, that because she feels good doesn't mean she doesn't have to take it. So I pray, I can't do it for her. So the only recourse I have is to pray for her, and there's great power in that. Self-control, and this is vitally important, especially for, for people like me. And 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And in Proverbs 25, 28, and this is one that I really love. Like a city whose walls are broken, though is a person who lacks self-control. So prayer is very involved in every aspect of what we do every day. Sanctification is a big deal, guys. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be the process by which we are saved. Um, and it is a process to look more and more like Jesus being set apart. So I hope you're encouraged by this. I hope the answers that we're given today can at least spark some thought for you and things that you will begin to um, study on your own, right? Start to discover these things on your own. It's really important. So if you would give these guys a hand. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you.